Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Outlier Podcast. I'm Lauren Conlon. Giant trigger warning for this episode as we are going to discuss the unspeakable topic of pedophilia. And in the first episode of Outlier, I mentioned my other true crime podcast, which is called Corruption, What Happened to Grant Solomon? And that podcast, while it does center around Grant Solomon's tragic and mysterious death, there are so many other layers to that story, which include Grant's little sister, Gracie Solomon, making allegations against her father, claiming that he allegedly raped and molested her. So I actually interview Gracie on the podcast and it's just, it's heartbreaking. And I also had a deception expert from the FBI who specialized in child sex abuse. I had them analyze this drawing that she did for her therapist at the age of 12 when she was asked about this abuse. They had her sort of do a drawing and I guess that's very common uh, to ask of kids who have been abused. And this guy from the FBI, he really validated that drawing and her claims. So I linked that episode out in the notes section. And if you're a Patreon member, you can actually see the drawing that she did in um, a locked post for members only. It's, it's very troubling, very disturbing, especially if you hear his analyzation. Um, and I'll put some notes in the Patreon as well. If you didn't go back to listen to that podcast episode I linked out, I'll put some notes uh, so you can just just see what he had to say. So I guess my point in telling you all of that before I get into my guest slash story for this week is that I do have some experience in covering child sex abuse and it never gets easier to discuss. I have kids of my own and it makes me absolutely sick to my stomach and just so upset to even uh, think about it. And you know what? This is going to come back and bite me in the butt one day, but convicted pedophiles should automatically face the death penalty or life in prison. I just think there should be zero tolerance. And 
This brings me to my guest for this week, uh, the very brave and talented Amanda Mustard. She's a filmmaker and a photojournalist, and unfortunately for Amanda, her grandfather, Bill Flickinger, was a serial pedophile. In her new film, Great Photos, Lovely Life, streaming on Max and HBO right now, she confronts her grandfather for terrorizing little girls for decades, including her own family members. Amanda was never molested by her grandfather, and that's simply because when she was born, he had already moved away. But this documentary is so moving, but so disturbing, and it really shines a light on how Amanda's family kind of normalized this abuse because that is the only, uh, that was the only choice that they had at the time. And so this story and how the justice system dealt with Bill Flickinger is just infuriating and, and honestly mind blowing. So Bill, who has now passed away, he died in a nursing home of natural causes a few years ago. And this is detailed in the film. He was a chiropractor and he began molesting his own daughter, Debbie, Amanda's mother, when she was about four or five years old. And there's a disturbing part in the movie that Amanda captures so well when they're sitting in a room, Debbie, Bill, and Amanda, and they're actually discussing what he did to Debbie. And he's like, fine, discussing this. And he says something along the lines of, oh no, Debbie, you loved it. You loved our time together. And Debbie was just like, "Uh, I was four. I don't really think I, I understood, but yeah, there's, there's just so much more to this. And going back to the justice system, this is really going to piss you off. But in 1975, Bill was charged and convicted of the statutory rape of a 12-year-old in Pennsylvania. And he was like between 40 and 45 years old when this happened. And because it was, quote unquote, his first offense, he essentially got a slap on the wrist and two years of probation. So he moved his family to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania at this point. He got a new job at a chiropractic firm and continued to molest his patients and even his own granddaughter, Amanda's older sister, Angie. Now, I don't know the exact timeline, but eventually there were complaints within the firm he worked at that Dr. Flickinger was taking sexual liberties with his patients, some who were children. And that included his boss's preteen daughter in 1982. That is so freaking stupid. I mean, your boss's daughter. Anyway, he was never charged with anything, but he was reported to the medical board by the owners of the firm. I mean, I think I would probably have done something a lot worse if he touched my kid, Um, but this resulted in his license being revoked for good per Pennsylvania records. Still, no jail time, and now Bill relocates to Florida. But eventually, he is busted. And in 1992, he was sentenced to four and a half years in prison for assaulting an 11-year-old at a, a Dade County Youth Fair in Florida. And he spent four and a half years in prison. That was his first and last time. And when he got out, he just continued to sexually abuse young girls. So Amanda 
made this documentary for a few reasons. She had recordings from some of his victims that she played for him because they just really wanted him to hear what they had to say as a part of their healing journey. So, and I think some of them did, they wanted an apology for what he did, for the way he destroyed their lives. And, um, that was Amanda's sister, Angie included, but you should definitely watch the film to see for yourself and how this happened. And Amanda tells me in the interview, but her family wasn't too big on therapy. So this film was really the first time they talked through a lot of things. And the film helped the relationship between Amanda's sister, Angie, and her mom, Debbie, because Angie blamed a lot of what happened to her on Debbie. And I'll tell you why. Debbie was a single mom. I know that's got to be hard. And at one point, she claimed she had no choice. Uh, She had to move Angie and her in with Bill, her dad, and her mom. And she knew exactly who her dad, Bill, was because it happened to her. and, And she just, she was very aware. But Debbie claims her mom, Angie's grandma, was supposed to protect her and did not. And this is another point of contention in the film because you know, Debbie's mom and Amanda and Angie's grandma knew, she knew what her husband was and she chose to not say anything. She chose to just keep it a secret because times were different back then. And this is obviously taboo. And it's important to note also that they were evangelical Christians. And I know that that makes everything so much worse. Um, But, you know, in that religion, you're really taught to respect your husband and that your husband can do no wrong. So yeah, Debbie claimed her mom was supposed to protect Angie and she didn't. And so Bill did the same thing to Angie. So it's just, my gosh, it's, it's so sad. And it really, it makes my blood boil that Debbie's mom, Bill's wife would let this happen to her, her grandchild and her own daughter, because that's your blood. You know, deep down in your heart, how disgusting and terrible this is. But yeah, anyway, you, you may have a lot more questions right now, um, about the film and about Amanda, but hopefully, um, we can get all of those answered in my interview with Amanda. So let me play this interview after a short break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I, I'm i like in awe of you. I, I think that you are incredibly courageous. Um, your documentary, it's, it's so raw. And I just, I can't imagine 
how difficult it was for you, for your mom, for your sister. I mean, uh, I was curious, how many years did you work on this specifically? Thank you for the kind words and for having me. Um, yeah, I worked on it. I started uh, with an interview with my grandpa when I was 24 in 2014. So that was, it took eight years to finish the film and nine until it was out. Wow. Okay. So some of this footage, I'm just thinking about some of the interviews you did with Bill. This was 10 years ago, eight years ago. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. All right. I'm not, you know, I, I talk about this, but you know, I do tell the listeners if they haven't seen this, Bill has now passed away. So I think when you watch the doc, it's really jarring to see him talking to you and, you know, having these moments, then all of a sudden seeing him pretty much dying, uh, on a bed, I was like, Oh wow. So what, I mean, how, how, uh, what was the time like between you talking to him and him? Yeah. It's very strange to, to make a film like this and compress eight years into an hour and 52 minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. And it is strange for me, especially to like show the film to people and hear people's response because they are watching it now. They're getting all of this information now where for me, it happens in that in for the interview 10 years ago you know like a lot has changed and like obviously I would have you know like I I would look at that interview and I'm like man I mean I'm so glad I did it but it was the very first thing I filmed and didn't even really know I was making a film at that point um so yeah of course I watched that being like I wish I would have asked him some some more questions (laughs) but I'm glad I I hear that I glad I got it yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, that's all of us. I look back on people I've interviewed and I'm like, I really blew that <laughs> um, if I can do it over. But no, that that makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, I, I feel like I, I have a lot of questions like when did you when did you first find out that your grandpa was who he was and um, yeah, did these horrible. Yeah. Things? So I kind of always knew in the way that it's kind of hard to explain. It's just one of those facts that was like normalized in my family. I was just kind of raised with a vague understanding of like, Hey, if you're around him, you know, don't, you know, don't be in the same room alone with him and this and that, like there was some, like, I, I don't even know if somebody explicitly told me, but I kind of remember just knowing these things Um, And I was very, very lucky that um, he moved out of the country two years before I was born. So um, I was one of the first uh, girls in the family that wasn't abused, to my knowledge, at least, um, uh, by by him. So, yeah, it was just kind of in the culture of my family. And I was raised quite normalized to it. And it was, you know, kind of as I left the house, left the country and and just, you know, exposed myself to not the Pennsylvania bubble I was raised in. Um, I just started to put things together and be like, wait, I don't think that this was normal. Um, so for me, the film was a process of like denormalizing it and trying to kind of do that with my family. Um, you know, whether that was successful or not. (laughs) Well, you know, I, I think I read, maybe it was a Rolling Stone article or I forget what Mm -hmm. it was. Um, but it was something along the lines of like, maybe we shouldn't use the documentary or you doing this for therapy for your family. Cause they need actual therapy, like your mom and your sister, like yeah. that you're, you know, I, I have some experience in working with survivors of abuse and watching this, I'm watching your mom and your sister interact here. And 
I'm, I'm putting myself in the position of your mom and I'm, I'm putting myself in her shoes and, and saying like, cause you know, you're getting frustrated. You're like, all right, Debbie, yeah. you got to own up to like putting Angie in that situation. And Debbie's thinking about herself and being a single mom. And, and I get that I'm a mom. I know how hard it is. And I know, but it's, it's almost like, um, it's like they needed that therapy together. And when you're filming this, they that this is all they had. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this no. is the only time you guys have ever talked about I this. Know. I know. Poor Angie and poor Debbie, poor everybody. I was like, this is not okay. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I have I've been in therapy since I was 25. And and I have grown and benefited so much from many different, you know, therapists. Yeah. But there are differing values of, you know, of therapy generationally. So, and especially given that my family has really relied on their faith, you know, I think that that's kind of what they feel work for them. You know, like I don't, you know, I've got my opinions and values, uh, which are very different, but trust me, uh, I have tried very, very hard to encourage that because I do believe in, in the case of such severe trauma, such as what is in my family, it's really, it's a professional's job. This film was not meant to be therapy. It was kind of, you know, Hey, can we just take the very first step and try to start talking about this? And you could see how even difficult that was. Um, I will say that my sister did start seeing a professional through this process, which has been really, really great for her. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's not, um, it is not a preference for the rest of my family. I mean, and it's, I'm so glad to hear you say that about Angie, because I, I, I felt like she was, um, she was making progress by being able to say this stuff to your mom and, you know, it is frustrating because, you know, I, I am a Christian and I think that's Mm -hmm. rare. I live in New York city, but I roll my eyes. I mean, what Mm -hmm. was going on with the, I'm just like, I'm sorry. And even like your grandpa, I mean, this is what, you know, in I'm, I'm Baptist and what you're taught is like, yeah, you we're all sinners. Fine. But you cannot uh, continue the sin and just be like, oh, I'm going to be forgiven. Like, you know what I'm saying? He was so using that and it was sick. And I'm like, you're giving all white Christian men a bad name, just like, you know, the white men that are trying to control our bodies right now. And I can say that because it's like there's nothing in the Bible about abortion. I'm sorry. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's not one thing. Another time, another topic. Sorry, but but you know what I mean. I'm sitting <laughs> here episode, and I'm yeah. I'm so upset with the way that uh, this was handled with with men that yeah. knew about what was happening and and it's just I don't even know how you you kept a straight face for for most of that. And I didn't see the the you know the raw footage, but your face was so funny when you they were you didn't see the blooper reel. Yeah. Um, oh, exactly. I'm like, how do you deal with that? Yeah. I mean, for me, I was raised very charismatic, evangelical, doomsday Christian. Um, and that is, you know, that was something I I in, intentionally, you know, it's not a film about that. You know, it's for, it's something, it's, it's a different project. That's, that's intense, Amanda. That's yeah. no joke. Yeah. And that and would drive all, me away from, I don't know. Yeah. So it was something, it caused me a lot of damage. Um, mm. 
But, you know, it was really important for me in this film to be fair to the ways that faith has helped my family, as well as hold it accountable for the way, for example, like my grandpa uses it to absolve himself. And then eventually you kind of see my mom fall into the kind of toxic forgiveness, you know, thing. And one of the phrases that I learned through this process um, is spiritual bypassing, which is whether you are consciously or unconsciously more, more often than not, mm-hmm. um, using the tenets of a faith to kind of skirt around feeling something very painful or like dealing with something. Yeah. So, and you know, it's not exclusive to this faith, but it certainly is, you know, prevalent. And it was, it was very prevalent in my family, you know, growing up, it was a lot of kind of, Oh, we'll just pray for him. It's in God's hands. This is too big for me. And it's like, I, get that from like a personal capacity, mental health space, but that's not kind of what the pattern was in my family. So it was really important for me to hold that accountable, but not go so far as to disparage the ways that like, I think it saved my mom and sister. Like I do not agree with, like, we do not share the same, you know, faith at all. Like I don't, I'm, I'm nothing, happily nothing. Um, But yeah. Yeah, it was a real, um, it was a real process. And our editor also um, was formerly evangelical. So it was really important to have somebody that understood that and wrestled with the kind of theological questions already that wasn't going to try and sensationalize it. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're right. Uh, Evangelicalism is sort of another topic because it's so huge in itself, but I, I do feel like I, and again, I have experience with another case that I do, I, I work on, I have another podcast and all these, these men are evangelical and mm. it's so messed up. And I, I try to tell my mom as a, as a Southern Baptist, I'm just like, this is not, this is not normal. This is not right. Mm-hmm. This is the the religion that basically says, you're my wife. I can rape you if I want to rape you because you're my property mm-hmm. here. And so I think that has, yeah. you know, yeah. it's a lot to do with how you grew up and how your grandfather and maybe why your grandmother never said anything because she felt that she had to obey him. And, and which it's, um, you know, that was troubling too, when your mom was sort of blaming your grandma, when I'm like, cool, convenient that she's dead. Um, and she can't, you know what I mean? So I, um, but again, I don't, just going back, you know, there was a part that just sort of gave me chills. There's a couple parts, but when, um, your grandfather was talking about molesting your mother and he's kind of like, you, you loved it. She's like, I was like four. What are you talking about? Like that was sort of towards it. And and you're just like, what am I listening to? What to? Yeah. And what's so crazy is that like watching my mom, like my mom did the interviews with me, um, with my grandpa and like, just kind of, you know, watching her response to it all, you know, she was never too thrown by because she's like this is just who he is this is the guy I know and like that's how deeply it was normalized and and so yes it's very easy to watch this film if you haven't been through something like this and be like oh my god this is crazy like how could you how could she how could he and it's like I mean this is exactly why I made this film to show that this is it, it doesn't always make sense but this is what it looks like it's very inconvenient it's very complicated and it's been really fascinating to see the response to the film um, because I'm getting an outpouring of emails and messages from from other victims and survivors, whatever term you prefer, right. um, that uh, feel very seen in the complexity of it. And that was the purpose. 
And sure, there's a lot of other people that are like furious and confused and have a lot of like misplaced anger. And a lot of that anger gets taken out on my mom and grandma specifically, sometimes me. Um, But, you know, and but that to me is just how how we deal with this issue. Like we blame survivors. Uh, we blame victims. And I understand like that they both should have protected their daughters. But when you are gaslit and yeah. groomed and manipulated and abused, like, like you're like, they all lived in fear of him, you know, and you can see it in the way that we had, we talk real big, but then when we're yeah. in front of them, we get very small you know, like I know what that is. Like it is the normalization and that's kind of where we're at. And it, you know, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. That's the thing. And this is why we need to talk about it sooner. So we don't get to the point that my family was at. Yeah. That's such a good point. And I think that's, um, that's, it's important for people to, to know that while they're, they're watching the film, like this is, you know, you're trying to denormalize it. You're trying to, you know, show everyone this is not okay. The way that, you know, my mom had to deal with this. I, you know, Mm -hmm. that's not a way that I would deal with it, but yeah, again, we weren't in her shoes. I, you know, I wasn't in your grandma's shoes. I know that times were different. Um, something else that is, was tough for me at first. And then I got, I, kind of looked into a bit more of what he was responsible for and everything is, mm-hmm. I don't know if people have said this to you, but it's, it's hard when you're watching like an old man, uh, you almost feel like they're so cute. This old person's so cute. He's so harmless. You, you feel like that initially watching it. I don't know if people said that, but at first I was yeah, kind of like, people. Oh, this guy didn't do anything. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I don't want, I don't want to believe that he did anything. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of kind of, and I think it's the same thing that happened with a lot of people in my family is like, it's like, oh, well, he's old now. So he's, he must have like grown out of it or something. But, you know, I'm proud to show that like, yeah, like he clearly didn't like the way he treated my co-director who was filming in that scene. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's all still there, even how hard it was for me to find records in my investigation of him people are like, oh, that's ancient history. I can't believe you're looking for something from the 80s. And I'm like, he is still here. He is still yeah. doing it. And yeah, like, what? Well, yeah, like, there's just a lot of bad. Im- we have a lot of kind of bad information in how we approach this topic at large, because it is, yeah. it's very, very uncomfortable. And people yeah. want black and white answers. And it's not. And I hope that this film is kind of a step towards showing people that I know we're not going to get everyone. But, uh, you know, because yeah. this is a really inflammatory topic. But, you know, what means the most to me is how many people found themselves in very similar situations that do feel very seen by it. Do you uh, recall when he went to prison? You must have been very young. Um, I think it was 92 that he went to prison or yeah. something for. Do you remember? Did your family tell you anything why he was in jail or? No, I was so young. I was born in 90. So, um, I was just, so I don't even, you're, yeah, you were like two. Yeah. 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 No, I was just like happily protected from him by distance. Um, but I do remember him, you know, visiting every other year, you know, up to Pennsylvania once, once he got out and, um, and he would, he would stay at our house. Um, and he made a few passes at me, I remember. And I just knew enough to like stay away 
Um, and I, I don't remember a lot. I mean, I'm, there might be things I'm not remembering, but yeah. yeah, even like how normalized that was, like there was an effort made to like kind of warn us, but like he shouldn't have even been in the house kind of thing. But again, it all goes back to like, you know, I, I, I have worked a lot in therapy to get to a place to really understand that, you know, my mom has been carrying layer upon layer of trauma for like 60 plus years. And, you know, you, if you were raised with that man as your father, you're, you know, you got a weird moral compass, you know, things are going to get, get messy. And if you don't have the tools to deal with that, which culturally, you know, historical context is really important with this, you know, the way that we can talk about things now is not how it was even 20 years ago, let alone 40, 50, 60 years ago. So it's very easy to watch this and apply the rules of now, but it's not particularly helpful because it was so different. Even just being a woman and like speaking out, even pre me too, like me too Mm -hmm. was a huge moment that has shifted things. Um, Yeah. And then you have my grandma who married him after knowing him for a couple months, three months, and then believed you can't get divorced and was just like, locked in, you know, like she was bamboozled. So yeah, yeah like I, I, I'm so glad we're doing better, but I really encourage people to remember the historical context of what they're watching. And I, I did. I, I thought of that. I absolutely did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you, you just still are like, ah, like you just get sure. so, uh, yeah, you get so sad and you just, um, yeah. But do you, did you ever find, I don't know if you looked, but did you ever find the 12 year olds that he, um, raped in the seventies, which is, I think when he got the slap on the wrist and. Yeah. Up in up. Bradford. No, yeah, I do not no. know okay. who that was. Yeah. All the the names are always you, redacted. Right. Of that. course. Of course. I was just curious if, um, yeah. you know, cause I know you had mentioned in the film that, you know, you did get in touch with more than one victim and it, it yeah. helped some of the victims, um, to sort of see what you were doing and what you guys were talking about. And I, I did feel bad for that one girl that he just refused to say anything to, you know, but you know, yeah. But I will say that, you know, for, for grace, the fact that I played that, like she thought I was going to just read her message. Right. Um, and it actually okay. was probably a year before she realized or not a year. Yeah, probably a year after it happened and she saw the film that she realized that I'd actually yeah. played her voice and and she burst into tears just oh. like feeling like, oh my God, he, I was always feeling bad that like I couldn't, I didn't confront him myself, but he heard my voice and in a way I did. And so that made me feel like, even though I had a panic attack and cried through it. Uh, no, it, <laughs> it I don't, made you me, were amazing. <laughs> it made me feel really, um, good that she she got a lot from that and and this is the thing for a lot of survivors it's not even like yes she wanted that apology from him but just to know that in a way she stood up to him like that was so so healing for her and like also we all kind of know him well enough that like when I delivered those messages I had no expectation of him like he is so ill. He is so fried. Um, you know, it was kind of just important to do it for them. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I, I mean, 
it it is good. And I, I thought it was good. At least he had some kind of moral compass uh, when Angie was brought up. He he did seem to feel genuinely. Um, yeah. you, I don't you know. know I, you I don't, don't think so? Okay. All right. I think That's it interesting. Was I really okay. do. No. Yeah. You yeah. obviously know him. Um, but mm. yeah. And that was another disturbing part when he did have a recollection of what he did to her. And I think that is, it's really brave that you guys put that out there because that's something that you listen to and you feel really gross. Like you just, you feel, uh, just not good. Not like, a, yeah, you know? Yeah, it's, no, it's very, very, um, can I swear? Yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> it's, just, it's very, very like fucked up to yeah. witness, you know, someone like my grandfather, just, just owning it. But in a way, I felt, and I've had quite a few messages from people saying, you know what, just hearing him acknowledge it, even in the slightest was healing for some people. Sure. It's massively disturbing for others, but it is so rare that we see, uh, offenders or perpetrators or abusers just say, yeah, this is what I did because it's so frequently just denial. And yes, he denied a ton and minimized things, but, and, and for me as a filmmaker, it was so important um, and valuable to have him own his own shit because yeah. that takes the onus off of the victims. Yeah. Um, so we could spend more time in the film, like just talking about other important complex issues of this, you know, like mm-hmm. everybody wanted it to be something of like, Oh, why didn't you look into the legal system? And why didn't you just talk about the details the whole time? It's like, well, cause there's a hundred other films out there that do exactly that. And I would like to have a different kind of conversation. That's why your film is special also because it's unique to your family and it's unique to uh, your, you know, your family story and what happened to you guys. And um, it is, it's pretty interesting that he also, he had no fear. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of these pedophiles, they, they kill their victims. Um, so they're never found out and they turn into pedophiles and murderers. And obviously Bill didn't do that. And it's, it really to me, I was kind of like, yeah, he doesn't give a shit. He literally has no fear because look what happened to him. He got a slap on the Very wrist for little. raping a 12-year-old. I mean, like my mind is blown. And then and then is able to do it again and again and again. And he just moves around and no one seems to care. So why would he ever stop? Nobody. Especially if he's in the mindset that every time he does it, he can just pray and he's forgiven. I mean, you're going to keep doing it if that's your mindset. That doesn't help anybody, but... Yeah. Yeah. He, it's, it's really unfortunate. Um, I do think that, you know, again, he was never diagnosed formally with anything, you know, thanks to the time and whatever. Um, but he did, uh, I do think that there was some psychopathy at play and not in a way that people kind of throw that word around, but I, I genuinely think that there, like he was, you know, a psychopath and, you know, his inability to feel, you know, empathy and like remorse and and the way he kind of saw himself as just legendary and a gift to, you know, mankind. And like, there's so many boxes that he checks that, you know, goes beyond his attraction to children um, that he did choose to act on. Like, I do want to clarify that there are many people who uh, are attracted to children who do not want to do it and want help. And it's very important for us to get comfortable enough talking about this to, to create a space for them to ask for help. And, you know, because that's truly how you protect children. You know, you got to get ahead of it and you can prevent this rather than 
waiting until it happens and then, you know, performative outrage and punishment that doesn't really change much, you know. So that was one of the reasons it was important for me to kind of humanize him mm. because they are, you know, we don't use any language like monster or evil because that strips human beings yeah. of their accountability, you know. Yeah. You make a really interesting point. And this is something I think I have to think on um, because I've never, I am like, okay, pedophiles can't reoffend if you give them the death penalty. Um, that's like something that I say, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very intolerant and mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you are too and, and everybody is, but I, I guess in the sense that maybe some of them, I can't believe I'm saying it, do need a safe space to go out and say, uh, I need help. But then again, is this sort of like being gay where it's like, you can't get therapy to not be gay. You know what I'm saying? Like, is this, I don't know. I, you know, it's yeah, that's like a really tricky part of this, like having this conversation, people do kind of go into that territory and that's where it gets like quite messy. But like, yeah, I think that, I think that what's important, there's actually, you know, my uh, producer, Luke Malone, who is a fantastic friend of mine, and he's actually writing a book about sex crime law in in the U.S. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he put out a This American Life piece called Tarred and Feathered. The episode is called Help Wanted. And he followed young, non-offending, uh, self-identifying pedophiles um, wow. that were teenagers that were starting to realize they had these urges and didn't want to offend and but could not find help so they found they founded their own support group online to hold each other accountable and like support each other because they couldn't find the support anywhere so you know like wow uh, yeah like and that is a great like again better data and like understanding who does this why this happens like 70 percent of children that are abused sexually under the age of 18 are abused by other kids under 18 70%. So like that, like even that knowledge just shifts kind of like, whoa, what are we actually dealing with here? Um, And like less than 5% of people that go to um, prison for like sex, sex crimes against children reoffend less than 5%. Like recidivism is actually quite low. Um, Mm. So yeah, like, again, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. Yeah, (laughs) no, of course, of course. Um, And I understand that, like, I've spent more time sitting with it and processing it than most people have, which is why I can kind of talk about it this way. But yeah, like, if we actually want to be productive, it's learning to be comfortable with the discomfort um, around this, doing our best to see them as the human beings they are, to come up with solutions of, okay, how do we actually prevent this? What can we do to intervene before it happens so that ultimately protects kids? Yeah, that's, and I think that you're absolutely right. Everybody has the same goal. Um, Can you tell me uh, what he, so I want to put that in the episode notes, this uh, article he wrote. You said it was. It was a This American Life piece. um, This American Life. Okay. Yeah, it's called Help Wanted. Help wanted. I'm going to put that. It was like from 2014. Like, and I, I listened to it right around the time that uh, I was interviewing my grandfather and starting to think about all this. And I reached out to him and we became very fast friends and then eventually became producer of film and like we're working together on some impact stuff. He's really fantastic. 
Um, and yeah, I like I it. really <laughs> think it changed how I looked at this issue. And yeah. because again, like, yes, like we can be very, very angry, but like it doesn't, that only makes the stigma greater that keeps people from asking for help. Uh, and I know what a big ask right. this is. No, this you're, is you're totally right. You're totally right. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's, uh, it, like I said, it's, I think it all depends. I mean, there, there's this Senator in Maine, uh, Bill Diamond. And I don't know if you've heard of him, but he, I, this is my opinion. I I'm speculating. This is not, I'm trying not to, uh, libel myself here, but I, there's rumors on Reddit that he's a pedophile. He wrote this book, an anti-pedophilia book, but the cover is disturbing. It's like a girl with lipstick on and like, it's, it's just disturbing. And there's a part in this book where he basically says, no, we need to change the way we think about pedophilia because, you know, I've got a friend who's like in love with a 14 year old and the 14 year old loves him back and he wants to take care of her and marry her. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. For my listeners, Amanda's making a face right now because that's, he's (laughs) trying to put this out there and say, no, 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 all pedophilia is different. And you're like, well, well, is it? I don't, that's, you know what I mean? That's not a conversation no, that yeah, I'm a, that's yeah, not so. the conversation. That's not the type of normalization I'm looking for. <laughs> right. Exa- no, exactly. Exactly. You know, and so it's just interesting that people do try to find loopholes like that, which is why what yeah. you're talking about gets totally shut out because people immediately go to that. And, um, yeah, it's not, not about enabling it. It's about, right. it's about stopping it, normalizing the conversation around it so that actual resources and intervention, like early intervention can take place. Exactly. And that's, um, I'm going to highlight this because you're right. This is, a, it's, it's difficult and we don't make it easy for people to, uh, come out and say this because obviously we're, we're horrified. We're disgusted. Um, but I really, I love, loved your movie. Um, I thought it was so incredible and so eye opening. and, um, it's on HBO or it's on max. I should say streaming on max, um, right now, great photo, lovely life. And just tell everybody where they can find you socially, or if they want to follow you and and all of your work. Oh, um, (laughs) I am on Instagram at Amanda mustard, uh, website, amandamustard.com. Uh, and then I just released a, my first podcast, which is five episodes kind of unpacking my process, you know, getting here and kind of reflecting on, on a lot. So it's called trauma town. I think it's available everywhere. Trauma town. Okay. I will link that out as well. Yeah, Yeah, I'll definitely, I'm going to listen. I didn't know that you had that. Okay. I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to link it out. Um, but I really appreciate you and I'm, I, I hope you don't, uh, take eight years to make your next documentary because um, <laughs> you're very talented and I can't, I don't want to wait eight years for, for something. I else, so. really, really appreciate that. <laughs> nor do I, nor do I. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Lauren. Okay. Bye. I know we all experience that afternoon slump but sometimes we don't want to have caffeine too late in the day. So this is when I drink Noon Brew Tea. It's so good. It's specifically designed for the afternoon to bust you out of that slump. It has 19 superfoods that help with energy, digestion, focus, and even deep sleep. It does all of this without the coffee jitters. So use the code OUTLIER for 10% off your first order. Head to noonbrew.co and remember, use the code outlier. 
So that was intense. And I have a lot of respect for Amanda. And please note everything that we discussed that I said I would put in the episode notes, it's all there, um, including the Johns Hopkins link about um, the Center for Prevention of Child Sex Abuse. You know, that is important. And it's going to, I think, take me some time to really digest that there are people that want to get help and that haven't acted on their actions. Again, this is, I I just, I got to process this before I uh, make an official statement here about how I feel. But yeah, I, I, it is important to get help, but I mean, can you really be helped? That is the question. That's why I kind of brought it up with her. Like, if you're gay, can somebody make you ungay? Can the church make you ungay? I don't think so. So I guess that's why I'm a little bit skeptical of this, but go watch Amanda's film, Great Photo, Lovely Life on HBO or streaming on Max. I think you'll find it so interesting and you'll just see how much Amanda cares because she cares so much and she really does want to help kids. And I obviously, I am such a fan of that. But anyway, thank you for listening. I'm going to remind you that I do have a Patreon account and I would love for you all to be a part of it and getting this extra juicy content uh, from Outlier, which is everything that has to do with crime, the latest in pop culture, and of course, the Grant Solomon case. So that is also in the episode notes. And yeah, thanks again. We'll be back next week with a new episode of the Outlier Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.